You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. to Sagas and Sass Season 3. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick and Jonathan. This episode will cover parts 1 and 2 of The Hod King, the third installment in Josiah Bancroft's Books of Babel series. If you're watching live, join us in the chat, or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. As we know, Arm of the Sphinx ended with one heck of a cliffhanger. So when we meet back up with Senlin in the Hod King, it's a bit of a letdown. He's basically just living his life in Pelthia as a really boring Boscopian accountant named Cyril Pinfield, sending his reports to the Sphinx. Though to be fair, he's ignoring the whole don't do anything involving Myra thing, as he insists on, you know, doing the opposite of that. Even if we ignore him attending the awful play about her, he is so blatantly ignoring orders that you just know something is going to go wrong. And when Senlin comes across two Pelphians attacking a Hod, because of course that would happen, he intervenes. But then the Hod straight up murders the two men, so Senlin pieces out, only to eventually admit what happened anyway. He did take the book the Hod left behind and hides it when the authorities, a man named General Eigengrau, no relation, and a wakeman named Georgine Haste comes calling to question him. He is saved, if you can call it that, when in the midst of the questioning, an invitation from the Duke arrives. Now, the Duke is currently married to Myra, and this invitation is in response to Senlin posing as Cyril Pinfield, contacting him about monetizing Myra's mermaid persona. Now, when Senlin meets Duke Pell, he actually likes him, so it seems as if he might need to want to back off, especially when he finally gets a one-on-one with Myra, and she tells him to GTFO. Unfortunately, though, Semlin's first impression was wrong, 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 wrong. I mean, really, are any of us shocked about that, though? Bueller? Bueller? The TLDR is that Semlin meets with Pell at the Coliseum again. Pell is immediately a huge asshole. The whole thing is a trick anyway, and Semlin ends up with a metal bucket locked over his head and is shoved unceremoniously into the Black Trail along with his old friend Tarot. Because, oh yeah, by the way, Tarot was a fighter in the Coliseum and Senlin was going to try to free him. And yeah, listen, it all just turned into a big old mess in which Tarot gets screwed because he's friends with Senlin and it's the black trail for them. Thankfully, if we can even use that word, Senlin and Tarot find some of Marat's people who remove Senlin's awful metal helmet, accept his and Tarot's professions of their faith in Marat and his goals, whatever they are, and are set off with none other than Finn Gold to prove their worth or something. In far more exciting news, Iron and Velita stroll into Pelphia like they own the place. There's fanfare, they meet the king, Velita convinces them to let Squit free when they try to cage her, and then Velita is simply Velita, prancing around on rooftops in her nightgown, and is dubbed the Leaping Lady. This leads to her getting invited to a lot of special parties and events, which her hostess Xenia absolutely loves, even when Velita has caught the attention of the sleazy Pelphian prince, whose name we don't even care to note because he's a sleazy P.O.S., Meanwhile, Oren is constantly worried about Valida, though Xenia's governess, Anne, does everything she can to help Oren handle things, which is really sweet, and Anne is great, and we all love her, and there shall be no argument about how awesome she is, ever. Anyway, unfortunately, Valida and Xenia are invited by Sleazeball Number 1 to see Mario's show, and he tricks Valida with a backstage pass, and Oren with a story that Valida has passed out, while Valida does get to talk to Mario, and meet the child that is very obviously Sinlin's. Oren gets locked in the fur coat closet and Sleazeball McGee traps Valida in Maria's dressing room and tries to assault her because he's a fucking Sleazeball. Valida is able to fight back because she's a badass, but in the scuffle, she is shot in the head. Back to Anne being the best. She figures out something is wrong, goes in search of Oren. She's able to help Oren escape from the closet. Oren runs off after Valida, finds her fatally wounded in Maria's dressing room, kills Sleeball fucknuts, realizes Valida still has a heartbeat, and scoops up her charge to rush her to the state of the art and hopefully save her life until she arrives at the port to see the ship shot down by the Ararat. And with that very fast and very loose summary, welcome to our first Hod King discussion. 
so much happened in the first two parts of this book. It was a lot less, uh, I don't want to call the first two parts of Arm of the Snakes boring because they were not, but there, a lot more happened, right, in the first two parts mm -hmm. of this book. So part one is called The Mermaid, and it finishes off with a kind of extra chapter called The Black Trail. And I guess I just want to start by saying lol at the Boscopian stuff and Senlin mm. just eating toast and drinking warm water. And the fact that they're all like accountants and nobody ever wants to talk to them because they're accountants and they're boring. Like it was a weird, silly aside, but it was very amusing to me, especially as I used to work in accounting. <laughs> so it was boring because at least for a, you know, a little bit, nothing was really happening and Sedlin was really maddening. So thoughts on him being a Buscopian, thoughts on anything about the Buscopian persona or or I, I, just in general, what all was going on with him? <laughs> uh, mostly I just thought it was hilarious that he had to go from this like, essentially like almost starving to death uh, on the ship and then through the whole issues that he that he dealt with in the um bottomless library and then he finally has access to like all this food whatever he wants basically uh has actually like has money again and he can't use it to have anything good he has to have like the blandest stuff because that's the persona that he's been given and also just the general like how he notes the general kind of like frustration and almost disgust mm. with which the people in the hotel treat him and he hands them money you know he's like tipping i think left and right from what i remember mm -hmm. so it's like they like that he's tipping them well but they're also like oh this guy what is with his toast and his lukewarm water it was just very <laughs> and like you said he went from having nothing and almost being starving at points to being able to do whatever he wants monetarily, except he can't because this is the boring persona that the Sphinx has, you know, sh shoved on him so that he doesn't attract attention, which God, he fails miserably at, right? Like how Senlin normally is not a person who would attract a ton of attention especially when he's supposed to be playing this boring ass character who boring ass person who just eats toast and drinks room temperature tap water, but he still manages to attract attention somehow. Part of that was bad luck. And part of it is his own obsession with Maria. Right. Yeah. I mean, we all I mean, knew that, that he wasn't just going to ignore Maria. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, he was out and about and he shouldn't have been because he went to the play but seeing the murder was bad luck and seeing it was bad luck doing something about it was like for sure necessary and absolutely in character but also mm -hmm. just, oh my gosh bang your head on a you know like head meat desk right <laughs> Simlin, Simlin, Simlin. and well, it wasn't that he, the thing is he didn't witness the he did witness the murder but what he was originally witnessing and what he you know, fought back against was the Hod being beaten by two, you know, ne'er do well, quote unquote, nobles, whatever, you know, the Pelf, whatever passes in Pelthia for no being a noble, you know, and, and he just, he, he broke in and he saved the guy from being beaten up, whatever, maybe beaten to death. And it's the Hod that just bricks those two guys in the head. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that says, and I guess maybe that should have tipped so many things off because it, it, in the past, everything we've seen with the Hods minus Marat and his crew, but even then it, they're, they're only doing it within their realm. This is a Hod who is out in public and, you know, sure he gets attacked and don't get me wrong. The guys certainly deserve to be taken care of, but maybe not, you know, murdered. I don't know. I, it's 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 one of those like I don't like these guys either, but did they deserve to die? I don't know. Uh but they do. Yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> so uh and and you know, and then on top of that, Senlin 
he he brings the book that the hot drops back to his hotel and the book is it's it's on uh trilobites i'm Mm -hmm. i'm like I, I was about to say tribolites, and I was like, no. That's it's a biology. It's a biology. <laughs> sounds Star Trek-y. I'm talking about trilobites, the ye old, you know, like they're fossils, right? And it's a biology book that focuses on them, and it's very odd because it's not actually blacked out the way that he's seen the Hod. So the Hod was carrying this book, but it was he wasn't blacking it out. And so he's carrying this book, and he brings it back to his room. Now, he does hide it uh he i mean he hides it when he's carrying it back he hides it in his room and then he still you know goes to the concierge or hotel manager or whoever the guy is i can't remember off the top of my head but he goes to the the concierge hotel manager guy and he's like yeah so i just witnessed this send the authorities fucking why Semlin? <laughs> i mean I don't know. Like, what do you guys say? Why, why did he the, not? Just... That part made zero sense to me. Right? Like, I why mean, would you was, do that? It was plot convenience for introducing Eigengrau, which is also funny. Yes. I, Jonathan, I didn't even, <laughs> I loved your like no relation thing. <laughs> Cause I forgot your name is super close to that. Um, <laughs> Jonathan's last name is. Yeah, I don't have the growl in it. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I, I think it was really mostly just plot convenience mm-hmm. for introducing the two of them, because even though he does run into Eigengrau again later, he probably wouldn't have run into uh, Haste, the Georgine Haste, the Wakeman, outside of this, because the Coliseum where he eventually runs into Eigengrau again is a men's only club. <laughs> uh, feel very like Tim the Toolman Taylor talking about it. Oh Lord. So uh he does hide the book from them, but he's it, again, it's it's a lot of plot convenience here. It's plot convenience that it's it, it well, it's it's maybe not plot convenience, but on purpose to move the plot forward, but for literally no other reason that he admits what happened because he wasn't nobody witnessed anything uh, other than him coming back to the hotel covered in whitewash. And, and Oh my gosh, when they make him ride the luggage cart through the lobby, cause the guy's <laughs> like, don't drip your whitewash nonsense on my carpets. That was, that was so hilarious. Like random aside, but very hilarious. But you know, he, he, there was really no reason for him to admit what he did at all. And he does anyway, I guess, maybe just because he's done them, but also convenience. But then he's in the midst of, you know, being questioned and he gets his invitation from Duke Will Willem. Is that his name? Willem H. Pell? Wilhelm? Well, I, I yeah. pronounce it Willem, but like, I know it's W-I-L-H-E-L-M. But the audiobook pronounces it. Wilhelm. Wilhelm. Okay, so he gets his his invitation from Wilhelm Duke Wilhelm H. Pell to meet with him in the coterie. Is that what it's called, the coterie mm-hmm. club, uh, which is above the Coliseum? It's this fancy club. You can only get in if you have an like a special invitation or are already part of it or know the right people, whatever. So that invitation arriving interrupts his questioning. So he never really has to deal with the mm-hmm. <laughs> it really has to deal with anything right um but so timing 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 lots of lots of very good convenient timing but he does go to the coterie club and meets the duke and i guess as a as a you know femme presenting person what are what were your guys' thoughts, first thoughts about Pell? Because Semlin is like, this guy's actually really great. And I was immediately like, Mm-mm. no. Well, it's one of those things, I think, where as the reader, you know there's something up. And I think 
there wasn't i'm trying to think if there was anything that like really tipped that off other than from a story perspective like you know there's something more going on than him just being a charming person i think it was just some like low level or schmarm yeah (laughs) that kept creeping in yeah i just thought it was fairly predictable that he'd end up being a bit of a big misogynist basically because they were at essentially a, a men's club it's a, a gentleman's club not, not gentleman's club is in the strip club like today but gentleman's <laughs> club in old england where yeah. they, they all sat around smoking their cigars and drinking their brandies with no women there so i think it was just it was the way he talked right he says something about you know, oh, like, you don't need to call me the Duke because I don't, you know, in my experience, if somebody's touting their title, they did nothing to earn it. And it, it, I don't know, it, it did throw, it was like, to me, the whole thing was schmarm, schmarm, schmarm. Now Mm -hmm. he did say, he was talking about Maria and he said, she is imperfect, but absolutely peerless and that i was like oh okay well shit maybe i'm wrong maybe this guy isn't a total schmarmy piece of shit but he honestly said all the right things early on yeah but there was still something about him that was just like this dude's no good i i guess i have like i i guess i have like a red flag for like a guy <laughs> yeah. who says all the right things. It's like, mm, yeah. you're saying too much right. I don't yeah. trust you. You're being too good. Mm-hmm. I think maybe you're fishy. That says more about me than it does about Duke Willem H. Bell, honestly. I mean, yeah, but also you're not wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, gosh. So the whole plot line with Senlin trying to convince the Duke to basically sell like stock shares in Maria. What what the fuck, well, Senlin? Well, I mean, I he mean, knew what he was doing. Like he yes. did. And he I knew he didn't mean it, but it's also just, wow, dude. But also like I mean, I, on the one hand, I get it. Like, your your wife is missing. You haven't seen her in a year. You're trying to get back to her. But, like, he literally, like, the first thing he did when he got there was, like, I'm going to ignore everybody's advice. Whatever. I've got this great plan. There's no way it can go wrong. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck there's no way it can go wrong have you not lived through the past two books <laughs> <laughs> like for real has he not because it, well i mean that's one of the things that frustrates me about Senlin as a character right like he he does not seem to learn he's single-minded and stubborn and does not seem to learn from his mistakes. And I'm like, you keep putting yourself into these situations where you could die. And like, he even acknowledges that. Or no, he doesn't acknowledge that. Somebody else says something. Yeah. Uh, Tarot says something about it, about how he like seems to have gone and deliberately kicked like every hornet's nest of everybody who has any power in the tower. And it's just like, yeah, no, that's, I mean, aside from the Sphinx, that's literally what he's done. But it but it works out for him so far. Oh well, sort of. I mean, and how do you define he, working he keeps, out? He like keeps he's successfully advancing the plot. Um. <laughs> yes, he does. He does advance the plot. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. Okay, so side note, because Senlin is the biggest thing about this, but I do want to point out uh, the Sphinx is all worried about his spies, his little butterfly mm-hmm. spies, but it turns out that it's just birds being birds like these little boys trained the mat like they played a game and trained these... i don't I, no i i i didn't think it was birds being birds i think the birds were trained by someone to to take out the, the things i spot. mean they were by little boys 
I mean, you might be like, you might be right, but at this point in time, it's like, uh, because they're not just taking like that seemed like it was kind of an extraneous, like, oh, well, they're also fluttery and shiny, so they're going to go after them the way... I mean, they're magpies, so that's what they do, right? Uh, period. But particularly, like, in this case... Um, but the Sphinx was all worried about his spies and Sandlin's like, oh, no, it's just the birds. It's fine. Uh, and that's... I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm sure there'll be more about that later. The Sphinx being the Sphinx being pissed about whatever. But mm -hmm. for now, I just wanted to make that point before diving back into, holy shit, the Duke is the absolute worst. <laughs> uh, okay, no, okay, well, no. And I guess I guess I got I got to take a step back a bit because before we find out just how bad he really is, Senlin does actually get face to face time with Maria and mm -hmm. that is something I mean of course we we learn a little bit more about the world there's a little more world building this is another which we of course we know each ring, ring has its purpose and in this case the ring's purpose is to replace fuses that burn out and there's the these will of the wisps things that I think there's there's more about them in the second half of the book, so I don't want to get too into those. But there are these will of the wisp things that pop up out of the ground that have something to do with it. But the main attraction literally is this sort of it's Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I, is except it Pirates? You have, of... have, except that you stop and put fuses. Well, it's not a water ride. So I would say it's more like Spaceship Earth. It's Spaceship Earth. That's what it is. It is Spaceship Earth at Epcot. <laughs> it tells a story of their world, which is what Spaceship Earth does as you ascend through the ride. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the top. And granted, in Spaceship Earth, nothing really important happens. You just get to the top. And then they're like, technology, blah, blah, blah. And then you go back down to the bottom and it's over. But... In, it, it is like Spaceship Earth in that you ascend to the top and then it, they actually have to do something. They have to replace a fuse to keep the ride going. And it's also part of what key, is keeping the tower going. So it was a very interesting that, you know, they're, they're all attractions in a way, but this one seemed like the first this is the first one since the beer go beer me go round that is a full-on just like ride right mm -hmm. the beer me go round is people get to get and also that's even better man they get to get drunk while they're well, doing it yeah yeah i mean it was the full it's the only full-on ride i guess but you had the larp earlier i mean you, you know <laughs> um but I, I mean, I think that I don't know. It was a very, it was a very interesting little. The, the the ride itself is very interesting, right? But more interesting was that Semlin gets face to face with Maria, and she's immediately like, "Take off that stupid mask, asshole!" I know exactly who the fuck you are. Yeah. <laughs> Even with his big dumb art, what is the? It's called the Mask of the Sphinx, too. Which yeah, is, you know, mm -hmm. hilarious. But, you know, she's just immediately like, take off that mask. What are you doing here? I'm fine. And I I mean, I think, I don't know, again, from like a femme person's point of view, you know, Senlin's like, oh, she says she's fine. She's fine. And I'm over here like, bitch ain't fine. Like, <laughs> she is not fine. She just wants you to stop like, she wants you to stop messing with her game. And I don't mean that in a positive way. She is gaming to survive right this is some squid game nonsense mm -hmm. for her and senlin is just all up in her business about to screw things up and she but he is just like oh she's happy she's happy oh, oh, i guess it's okay it. i'm gonna cry about it but also you know everything's fine so i don't know like did did you guys did you guys read that differently than i did i am curious no Completely the same. No, I didn't see it any differently either. So yeah, so I just assumed it was protecting the child. That's what that was my thought process. Yeah. 
Okay, so he goes through the ride with her. We all agree that obviously she was bullshitting him hardcore. <sighs> he meets with the Duke again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is a trap. Although I, it, here's my question. I, it, it actually, even on a second or third, this might be my, no, this is my second read of the hot King. So I've read the first two, three times now. Uh, this is my second read of the hot King. The, the dancer who calls out Semlin. Mm -hmm. Did, was that, uh, did, help know who she was or was that actually just convenient for him i, I think it was just convenient okay yeah that, I, that, I, that's I read it I as coincidence yeah yeah that, okay. bad that's, coincidence that's to move the plot yeah. line forward so so you know just just to make sure anybody who's listening to this now or later is clear senlin gets called out by pell puts on this big show one of the dancers actually stops and is like that's uh, I don't know. She, I think she called him the pi his pirate name. Maybe no, no, no. He, yeah. no he had given yeah, he had given her his real name. So she, Pell already knew that he was Semlin, but she did just he? I oh yeah, I don't think he oh, did. Yeah, I don't think he did. I don't think really? he did either. Specifically, there's a specific moment after she calls him out where he says, "Oh, there you are," like he's oh see, that i him. read that differently actually i read that as like he was saying oh there you are like he already knew who he was i'm i'm honestly i'm looking it up right now because i feel like it's also possible so like because i'm listening to the audiobook like the intonation that was chosen in the audiobook could color the way that i heard it Okay, so here's here's how I read it. Um, how do you know Mr. Pinfield? The Duke asked the irate woman. He's no mister. He's a pirate, Nancy cried. He's the coward who robbed my father and broke his heart. He stole his books, his faith, his hope. You murdered mm -hmm. him, Thomas Senlin. You killed him with despair. When Senlin turned to look at his host, he found him wearing a curious smile. He seemed to have just woken from the most wonderful dream. Ah, there you are, he said. So I, I, and, and I could be wrong and I'd love to actually ask the author that question. I thought, first of all, I feel like the Duke had to have planned out everything that happened next. So I, I feel like he already knew for sure who Senlin was. And this is just kind of like the frosting on the cake, you know? Hmm. And I think the reason why I felt that way was something that he said later. Um, well, first of all, Sen, you know, the, the Duke captures captures him and and Senlin is like, Maria had nothing to do with this. She laughed at me. She rejected me. And then they're in the cellar before he puts the oh God, what do they call that awful helmet thing? I feel like I, I feel like there was something in what the Duke said that made me think no he absolutely he, the odd ah, there you are to me felt like i already knew you were you but now you've got that look on your face and it's like ha 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 yeah yeah i didn't read it that way at all or i, I didn't it read it that way, way. i read it that, really that, yeah i read it more that he suspected senlin would would make a play at some point but didn't know where he was and was expecting yep. him at some point, but and then it was pleasantly surprised to find him now. I read it the same way, Jonathan. I, I mean, I really feel like he knew ahead of time. I, I just, I'm not, I'm, and and I'm not gonna. I, I maybe two weeks from now when Nami rejoins us, I can ask her. But like, I to me, yep. it, or or I'll just. You, you know, can just actually find the section where yeah, because I swear there was something he said after the fact too. But regardless, it felt to me like he had the whole thing planned, right? Like he had this awful helmet thing waiting to just clap it on on Senlin's head, and he did so. And then he's like, "Bye now," you know. Uh, yeah, but they don't seem super rare. Like, there's no indication that the device is rare. Uh, 
I don't think it's existence is rare, but it's it seems to me that they they don't with as many hods that go through, you know, with as many hods that 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 get created essentially. To me, it seemed like this thing is something that they only put on the absolute worst of them, and that might be like. Let's didn't say they put, didn't we see one of these helmets in like the baths right away? Wasn't that mm -hmm. the first? I thought we did. I I don't think so. I, I don't remember. Yeah, on one of the hods, did someone witness them making a hod? I thought they put one of these on in book one. We'll have to figure this out. Semlin gets this awful thing puts on his head, put on his head, which as, as mm. someone who is pretty like fairly claustrophobic, really claustrophobic, uh, which we talked about, I think last time, honestly, I was just like, no, I can't, I can't read this. I can't read this. How long is he? And, and he's talking about like the sounds and, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it was just absolutely was horrifying. Hard. It was horrifying. Thank mm -hmm. God. Thank God. I did think, think gods, think whomever you worship <laughs> that Senlin and Turo are able to find Marat's people. And the first thing they do is take that fucking thing off his head, honestly, because that was mm -hmm. a lot. It was it was very convenient that the Hod who takes it off his head is the same Hod that Senlin saved again. Plot convenience. <laughs> I can't remember what is Siddic, uh, Siddic, Sodic. 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 So they run into Sodic first yeah. things first. Speaking of, of plot conveniences, the next yeah. mm -hmm. person they meet is pretty convenient also. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, I guess that it seems like in this case, there are very few places where one can go as a hod if you are willing to join Marat's cause, right? He still, they exist, but I mean, even Senlin and, and Turo had to travel quite a bit before they found, mm -hmm. like Turo knew where it was, but, or, or had an idea of where it was, but they don't exist just everywhere, right? right. So, yeah, and it well, also, no. it, it, it's, it, I mean, it, it is plot convenience that, Fingol, by the way. Well, that, no, that's, the plot, that's what I'm talking about. That Fingol happened to just show up there. And yes, he was made into a hod also, but because he had his debts that he couldn't pay after his business collapsed due to Senlin. But that he showed up there in this gigantic tower at that point in time. I mean, it seems. Well, I think that, again, because there's so few of these hideouts with it, these, these, you know, I don't know what I call them hideouts, but the, there's so few of these communes within the tower. You know, so like I said, Senlin and Toro had to travel so far to get to this one. And I well, think that, the, I, 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 I mean, Finn Gol, especially, of course he is going to, like, he is a, he is a transaction man, right? Like he is going to do, what he's going to lie and scheme and do whatever the fuck he has to do to get back to even not even not necessarily his old his old life but he he absolutely would be the type that would scheme his way into Marat's people in hopes of gaining something from it because that's the only way he knows he knows what the life of a hot is. So when he sees this group of like fanatics who can, or who are uh, able to kind of skirt around certain parts of being a hot, absolutely he's going to join them. If it, if he even has any like possible inkling of a thought that it might help him. So it's convenient. No, I, no, that, that, that part I get. What I what I find implausible is this tower is huge. He happens to be at the exact same place at the exact same time in this gigantic tower where the, you know, even if there's five or six of these places where the where Marat's people are moving. I don't know. I mean, Nick, what do you think? Because to me, it didn't it didn't seem that way only because there's so few of them and New Babel is right below. Pelthia. So to me, it was like, 
it's, 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 I mean, it is absolutely convenient. I don't disagree with you there, but I, I don't think it's implausible at all. I thought it was convenient, but I didn't really care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it the fact that they're now be, they've now been just sent to go meet with Marat is kind of like, good luck guys, I guess. Of course. <laughs> Okay, so on to the, in my opinion, way more interesting, exciting, scary, everything part of the first half-ish of this book. Uh, part two is called The Leaping Lady. And all I have to say is, remember like a month ago when we were covering, I think it was episode 36, we were covering parts one and two of Arm of the Sphinx. And I was like, why do we care about this creepy ornithologist dude? What the fuck does this <laughs> what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Ha 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 well he is Sleazeball McGee, Sleazeball Fucknuts, the worst person. Puh puh. Uh, he is <laughs> well, no, that's what, you just said the Duke was the worst person. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a lot of worse people in these books. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I was going to comment earlier that I don't even think the Duke is num is in the top the three the, of bad people. The, the Duke is the Duke is the worst Duke. This guy is the worst prince. I'll go with that. There you go. So, you I use the titles. The this person is the worst of this one. Yeah, but the commissioner is the worst commissioner. He's not a Duke. He's exactly. not a prince. The commissioner is pretty bad too. Yeah, exactly. He's the worst commissioner. What is this guy's name? Do either one of you remember? Because I, for the life of me, I didn't even write it down. It's and Prince. But what is his <laughs> actual name? I'm giving him nicknames because I hate him. Yeah, me. absolutely. Francis. Okay, Francis. Of course it is. <laughs> I, I knew it was like an F name because... Anyway. Doesn't matter. So what. yeah, in episode 36 of Sagas and Sass, when we covered parts one and two of Arm of the Sphinx, and we were like, what does this matter? And I was like, why do we care about this creepy ornithologist dude? And it turns out that he is really important. Like, really important. Also, <laughs> wow at myself for not recalling that connection, even after having read Arm of the Sphinx twice. Yeah. And the Hod King immediately after... I read Arm of the Sphinx. Like, I'm most recently only about two years. Ago, but, you know, <laughs> hey, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot that happens in part two of this book. Mm -hmm. Going back to our summary, kind of. So, <laughs> Belita and Iren arrive, and they're because they're on the sphinx's ship the state of the art and Valida is the sphinx's niece they're given this whole like fanfare there's speeches they ride a train there's like a ticker tape parade whatever uh they go to the they go to meet the king they do the the port master or whoever it was cages squit because it's like oh we can't have free animals which is like weird and also why like so nobody has pets here like i get not having I get not having It's like a quarantine thing. thing. Uh, I don't think it was a quarantine thing. I think no, it was like, it, this it was, isn't it, allowed. I, I just don't think people have pets there. Yeah. That's weird. But yeah, no. right? No, it was it, the, they, the way it is, the way it is portrayed is that that is that Squit will have to stay in a skate in, in a skate. Wow. Squit will have to stay in a cage the entire time they're there because like live animals aren't allowed other than apparently the parrots and the magpies, but you know, pets, I guess like wild animals are okay, but you can't have pets. Well, to be fair, the wild animals, I don't think were on purpose, but uh, probably not. the parrots were originally, I think supposed to spread news and now they just spread gossip, which is hilarious. But so they, you know, so, so Valida goes to meet the King who is, he kind of reminds me of a less evil, I want to call him the Candy King, but I know, I don't think that was his name. The, the, from Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, yeah. Right? He's I don't like remember the, what that character's name is He reminded me but... of the Candy, well, he reminded me of the Candy King when you first meet the Candy King. And yeah. I don't think that's yeah, what yeah. his name is, but I'm, that's what I'm thinking of him as. So 
he he seems kind of harmless and a little bit silly and he reminded Valida... me of the earth king from avatar oh yeah yeah that's a good yeah that's a good one like kind of a uh he's just there to like as a figurehead mm -hmm. but he does have some power yes so but he's also really silly and <laughs> he so so he like valida convinces him to let squit go Right, I don't even remember mm -hmm. how, yeah. but Valida is asking Valida. a favor. That oh, that's what it is. She just simply asks a favor. She used, she used her favor because he's like, anything I can do for the yeah representative of the Sphinx. Then, so and and then there's the whole you know she gets placed with Xenia and her father as her hosts and Marcus. yeah and and. He, her father, whose name? What did you say his name was, Nick? Count. He's the Count of. He's a marquis or a marquis. Yeah, a marquis. A marquis. Yeah. But he's he's also ridiculous. Xenia is ridiculous. Oh and... yeah. Well, that's the whole point of uh, of this whole of Pelfear, right? Like, right. That, that's like a whole thing. Is that everybody is like dramatic and mm -hmm. does all this like basically acting all the mm -hmm. time of like blowing things out of proportion and like drawing attention to themselves and all these things like is basically a requirement of being a citizen of this place. So you have all these super weird people who have all these weird affectations. And one well, Xenia is, it, it, I mean, it comes out later that I think Anne probably reveals it to Iron that Xenia, like she should have been married a long time ago. And mm -hmm. I think her father is like just spending her inheritance on his weird clothes and weird wigs and everything about the marquee is just so over the top and weird. But oh my gosh, the, the fact that at one point he hires gossips to sit. Oh yeah. That was great. It was it's it's a lot. It's so a lot. that they can watch them read the newspaper. Yes. Like that's what they're there for is to watch the them read the newspaper and then they can go gossip about it. And poor Valida is just like, God, I hate every part of this. And oh she refuses gosh, to wear the wig, and everybody's like, Oh my gosh, your weird hair, and she's wearing old fashions. One night she wears like lavender or something, but that's a, mm -hmm. that's an out color and orange is in, which in orange what world orange, <laughs> orange is, that's what, I feel like that's a legally blonde reference. There's like no orange, way that legally... orange is the new pink, right? <laughs> L would never. Right? Uh, but she would respect it because she's L Woods. Anyway, so... <laughs> Valida is just disgusted by all of this and just trying to live. And 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 she goes to her first party and she screws it up because uh, the actress is like, kill this parrot who's talking smack about me. And I don't <laughs> even... <laughs> that whole scene. And, and, and I know the actress was just being over the top, but... Uh, and Valida was like, why would we kill the parrot? And she just, she kind of downgrades herself and Xenia's all pissed. But then that night they go back and Valida goes prancing around the rooftops and meets Prince Fucknuts. And, uh, you know, it comes out in the newspapers the, the next day that she's the leaping lady, like crawling around the rooftops in her nightgown and the prince is taken with her. And now there's this whole new romance thing that has to happen. And then there's Iron, who is just like, because Anne straight up tells Iron, this guy is trouble. Don't let Valida anywhere near him. And Iron's like, I'm going to kill him. I imagine Iron as Louisa from Encanto at like 60. Or 50, oh right? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. <laughs> like, just wanting to protect, protect and save. Mm -hmm. So, is so important. And again, like, I, 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 I wrote the summary, so I love Anne so much, and I 
refuse to allow either one of you to disagree. <laughs> oh no, Anna's a fucking queen. I love her. She is just so like, I'm just living my life as mm-hmm. a governess and I'm doing the best I can with what I've been given. And I'm going to give you all the info and all the tips and tell you how to skirt through the crowds and tell you who the worst people are and everything. I, I mean, she, and, and, and she's kind she, Oh, Iron, like calm down. Like, it's okay. Like I will help you. You know, mm-hmm. it's very, it's, it's all very sweet. And I don't want to say anymore because I don't want to spoil <laughs> anything, but yeah, I love Anne a lot. And she, she is kind of this like side character in part two of the Hod King until she becomes not a side character when she's the one that realizes there's something really fucked up going on and, and, you know, goes and releases iron from her fur closet prison, but that's later. So (laughs) Belita catches the attention of the prince and I'll be honest again, it even like, I don't know how it took me too long like i almost feel stupid how long it took me to put two and two together about who this guy was so did you guys did you guys like immediately kind of be like mm-hmm. oh yeah that's that guy you didn't yeah, I, they said it earlier i mean they they did but i it was right it clear just, that he was the he was the person that from from the ship earlier in the story yeah or well let me be clear this time around, I caught it immediately as soon as they were talking about uh, some questionable thing that happened and the the maid servant that threw herself off the ship. Yeah. I caught it this time. The first time I read the this book, I absolutely did not. I did not. And I really think it was us talking about him in that episode a month ago that made me finally when i was reading the hot king for the second time be like oh shit which makes me i guess a bad reader i don't know (laughs) well if you are i am too because i did not catch it um yeah i i i really didn't i i would i wish nami was here so we would have like a fourth opinion because we're two against one now john this this minutia i picked up on (laughs) some minutia and some things that are obvious, I don't. But this one, I knew I picked up. <laughs> but he takes this interest in Valida, and it, it's and Xenia. What what kind of surprised me is that Xenia is she's not even like jealous. She's just like I just want to use your, you know, connection or whatever to get myself like leveled up. I mean, and eventually Valida's kind of, you know, well, I don't feel comfortable around the prince and Valida's like, well, let me handle it. I do. Mm-hmm. But I don't, the, the, there wasn't like a jealousy there. I don't, at least I didn't mm-hmm. feel that way. Xenia is a very interesting character in that she's maddening mm-hmm. and I don't think she's a good person, Mm-mm. but I I think she's she's a product of her world, and I also can't hate her for that. And I feel mm-hmm. very torn about it. Like, I feel like I should, especially after what happens at the end here of, of part two, I feel like I should hate her more. But unless I miss her, like, she didn't cause any of that. No, I, I, I pity her. And I also, in a weird way, respect her because she recognizes what she recognizes what her issues are. Like she mm-hmm. knows what her father is doing. She knows he's spending away her inheritance. She knows she's getting older, quote unquote, in Pelfian, you know, I should be married by now terms. Um, she she definitely she acts dumber and uh she she i think she acts more vapid than she actually is so yeah it's it's a weird like i pity her i respect her a tiny bit and also am so frustrated by her right like but mm-hmm. i don't hate i don't hate her and that's i don't know 
very, it's very, mm -hmm. it's very weird position to be in. I think she's a weirdly, maddeningly well-written character, honestly. And thank God she has Anne, like on every, on every <laughs> level. Yes. Thank fuck for Anne. So the end all be all is they get invited. Well, Valida's whole thing is that she wants to go to see Maria in concert and she wants to meet Maria. She wants to talk to Maria. And she says at one point, um, she, I, I can't remember. I believe she's talking to Edith after Senlin sends Edith his message. And because mm -hmm. Edith is, is like, well, Senlin says that she's fine and she doesn't want to be rescued. And Valida says, if someone has absolute control over you, it's mm -hmm. easy to believe they have absolute power over everything and everyone. They can't be defied or challenged or disobeyed. And every opportunity for escape just feels like a cruel jest. You don't offer a wounded person assistance once and then strut off patting yourself on the back for the good deed you almost did. Believe me, desperation makes it hard sometimes to recognize help when it comes, to accept it when it's offered. And that, like seriously, if you have ever been in mm -hmm. an abusive relationship, that hits fucking home. Like it really mm -hmm. does. The amount of times that somebody and it offers you help once jesus offers you help 10 times and it mm -hmm. still feels like what's the catch right so it feels like a, a part of a, a trap. trap right exactly even if you know that person is like super well-intentioned mm -hmm. only really cares about your well-being it will still feel like a trap so I think that that was a really beautiful, and, and that came from Valida's own experience, right? As yep. being part yep. of Rodian's harem, essentially. Yeah. And so that, that really hit home a lot with me. And, Same. you know, when Valida confronts Maria and Maria's like, no, 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 no. And then the nurse shows up with the daughter. And mm -hmm. was like, what, 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 what now? <laughs> oh, fuck. And it's like, of course, we already knew, right? Yeah. Like, Pell, you know, revealed, even though we kind of, we kind of knew from the end of Arm of the Things, but then Pell, like, straight up tells Semlin. Yep. But now it's like, whoa, you've actually seen the daughter and you've seen Maria. And oh, gosh, it's like a whole other level. Mm -hmm. And then Maria leaves and Valida's like, well, gonna follow her and fuck nuts mickey i'm just i'm 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 just elevating his name or not even just it's not even evolving it's just he's whatever no, the fuck i want to call it's just him. variations <laughs> on a theme uh shows up and his whole purpose is to assault her yep because he's fuck nuts mickey purpose. yeah and of course valida fights back I mean, I don't even want to say, of course. Valida is Valida, so she fights back. Yep. Um, there's not always an of course. Valida is Valida, yep. so she, in this situation, fights back. Yep. And she has the better of him from one moment to the next, and then he, and then her, and then mm -hmm. shoots her. But, fuck not. Uh, but... Anne has rescued Iron from her. Yes. Oh yeah, because his the Duke's BFF, who was like, also by the way, like just bleh, like making out with Xenia. Before he was making out with Xenia, he locked Iron, helped lock Iron in the yeah. fur closet. And so I, far, I, he might be the most decent character we've met too. And I want to put decent in hardcore quotes because not so much, but yeah. mm. but I will say, like, how did it? Why did it take Anne so long to figure? Why did it take any? Why did it take Anne so long to figure this out? Zini doesn't give a shit. The other guys involved in it. Why did it take Anne? Really had to think about it, and I'm not hating on Anne at all. But it was like I feel like that was I feel like Anne is smarter and better than that, and that 
if it weren't for plot convenience, she would have figured it out sooner. Maybe. I don't know. That's my thought. But there's also, you know, the whole like she has a role in the society and like there's only she might have felt limited in what she could or should do and might have been conflicted about that. We don't really get her perspective, so we don't really know what yeah. Right, yeah. what she was thinking. Thank God though, she finds out or figures it figures something out just in time. Goes mm -hmm. and, and you know, Iron gets out of the fur closet. Iron rushes off to what? Well, and also the the moon. There was a moon pendant that Valida had been given by the Sphinx, and there's a moth or something that's like zoned in on it. So Iron is able to follow that moth into the backstage and discover Valida, who thankfully still has a heartbeat. Kills. Fuck prince notes. prince worst person ever and you know scoots Valida up and runs off with her and there's this whole like she's running through pelvia she's trying to get to the port she's so worried about being caught and it's like you think you think that she's gonna get there right like she yep. has skirted every thing everything and then she gets to the port and Somehow, for some reason, the Ararat has is firing on the state of the arts envelopes, their balloons, right? Which is like rule number one of war, which I think we were taught in Arm of the Sphinx, is that you never file fire on another ship's balloon. Because that is like it, it, they all have they all have the envelopes, right? So if you mm -hmm. if everybody starts doing that, then it's just that it, it it it's basically like the one rule of war. You don't mm -hmm. do that, and that's what they do. And that is where we're left. We are left with Bolita just completely bereft with. Or, I'm sorry, Iron. Iron just completely bereft with Bolita in her arms, like almost dead, dying, whatever, as she watches what she thought was their safe harbor plummet from the skies. And if that's not a cliffhanger, I don't <laughs> on no, that we, note. We think it's plummeted from the sky. That's what they want us to think. I mean, at this point, we have no reason to think otherwise. And, and I, I'll be honest, I have not read enough to know if that's where it ends, but I have a feeling it's not true. <laughs> I mean, I have a feeling the, the series couldn't go on the way it has without something else happening. But that said... We'll find out in two weeks. At this point, the state-of-the-art is plummeting from the skies and Iron is left with this dying girl in her arms. And I just... I... This is a rough I, one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I mean, again, like when we finished, you know, parts one and two of Sendlinus Ends or in parts one and two around the Sphinx, it, they they both had like a like a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? A little bit. Mm -hmm. But this was a very <sighs> holy shit. Like who yeah. is going this was to, next level. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about the next half of this book in two weeks. On that note, uh, any last any last closing thoughts on parts one and two of the Hod King? I feel like I, if you guys have nothing to say, I'm gonna read a quote and then close it out. No, I'm good. I'm here for the quotes. I think that. <laughs> I'm going to leave us with a quote from the Marquis Xenia's daughter. Oh. I don't like people who don't know how to enjoy themselves. The pooping of my parties is simply not allowed. <laughs> what a great quote. It really is. And on <laughs> that note, Thanks, we'll, be, we'll be back on Wednesday, March 16th with part three and possibly more I, uh, Black Trail 
sections of the Hod King. I'm Tara, along with Nick and Jonathan. Thanks for joining us for Sagas and Sass, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.